Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is a reading from the Gospel of St. John. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me, because I live and you will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and observes them is the one who loves me, and whoever loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and reveal myself to him. Judas, not the Iscariot, said to him, Master, then what happened that you will reveal, reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, Whoever loves me will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for Jesus, your Son, whom you sent to, to redeem us, and heal us, and save us from sin and death, to bring us to you in your dwelling. Thank you for making your dwelling with us here in the world, in the church, in our hearts. Help us to receive the grace you have in mind for us today, especially the grace to surrender and to ask for your help. Mary, intercede for us and be with us this morning or this afternoon. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, the hour of our death. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for being here. So a review from last week, just very briefly. What we're talking about here, hope and freedom, is generally like the, the topic and also the motivation behind these seminars. And the focus is, is healing. You know, we get hope and freedom when we receive healing in places of woundedness and pain and suffering. And particularly the three goals of these seminars to, to review were desiring for movement in areas where people feel stuck. So a lot of times woundedness or slavery, interior or, or whatever, come from these places where we just feel like we can't move. So desiring for movement in those areas. Normalizing and creating spaces of safe sharing and vulnerability to communicate that people aren't alone. So a lot of times that stuckness comes from feeling like I have to do everything myself and I need to fix this problem in me before I'm even capable of being in a relationship with God, with other people, even with myself. Uh, and then experiencing small victories that lead to a new way of life. So it's like a lot of times all or nothing thinking can be paralyzing. Like unless I get total freedom in this area, then I can't make any sort of strides towards more chastity, patience, sobriety, whatever, excellence. So the three values we went with were hope, safety, and freedom, which correspond to those, those three things. Hope being, you know, this is not about beating ourselves up or uh, sometimes what's can happens when there is vulnerable sharing is like everybody's like yeah life sucks right yeah i'm totally stuck at least we're all stuck together right um no there has to be hope for the, the spirit moves us towards hope and freedom not just like intimacy based around our slavery and our despair you know so hope safety meaning nobody's forced to be here nobody's forced to share if they don't want to share um it's you know real love god's love is not coercive it's not pushy it's safe, it's open, it's accepting. And then freedom, same thing. Like God wants us not to be pushed or, or feel like unless we do this, then we're not lovable. We're, we're free to be who we are, and that's what God wants, and that's what we want. So, and then just last thing to review from last time, the point of inner healing is intimacy. There's no other point to it. Like sometimes we get in, in our heads like, I want to get this inner healing because then I'll have this wholeness and then I'll be good at this or I won't sin anymore and blah, blah, blah. Like it's, it's, I need to get this done so that I can do 
XYZ. I can be better in this area, do this thing that I've been wanting to do, finally make a decision about my vocation. The point of it is not to solve any problems. You are not a problem to solve. You are a gift. God loves you just as you are. He wants more for you, but he doesn't want more from you. He's not like, unless you get healed, then you, you can't really please me because you're still doing this, these sins and being bad in this area or you feel these feelings that are unpleasant. And that doesn't, I don't like that. Like, that's, those are these lies that we sometimes have to battle or even just bring to Jesus, bring to the Father and say, like, this is, this is what I'm struggling with. And that's the, the other paradox is that healing is for intimacy, but intimacy is the place of healing. We get healed so that we have more confidence to go to the Father for everything. And then it's in going to the Father for everything that we receive this healing, that I don't have to do this by myself. That's what happens with our woundedness, is that we make these bad resolutions that I'm going to fix this. I'm going to fill this empty hole. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, whatever. It's all ego-focused. And what God is always welcoming us into is communion. And so the good news is that you are already capable of intimacy, even if you're wounded. Nobody's not wounded. Even Jesus has wounds, but he brings all of that to the Father with complete confidence, and you can too. And that is where we'll receive healing day by day. Not in usually some like huge miracle tidal wave of healing and freedom. Sometimes that happens where somebody just experiences like a total redemption in an area of their life where there has been so much pain, emptiness, struggle. But usually it's through this slow reception and acceptance of God's unconditional love for us, just experiencing that day by day, that I can bring him anything. I don't have to be afraid to just call out for communion, call out for intimacy when I need it. So you have this quote sheet today. I just want to go right into the first quote. This is from Dr. Bob Schutz's book, Be Healed. And he talks about the deadly sins. It says, each of the deadly sins hides deeper insecurities in each of our lives. Are you aware of what you are hiding through your specific deadly sins? If you use anger to gain power and control, my guess is that you struggle with feelings of powerlessness and fear. If your capital sin is greed, I would venture a guess that you have a lot of insecurity and use wealth as a way of bolstering your security and self-worth. If lust is the issue you struggle with most, I imagine that you use sex or sexual imagery to soothe the pain of rejection or feelings of not being desirable. If gluttony is your sin of choice, experience tells me that you use food, drink, or drugs to numb your pain and to fill the emptiness of abandonment in your life. If you wrestle with sloth, you have probably given up trying because it is too hard to meet others' expectations. If it is envy that consumes you, I suggest you ask yourself if you have a deep insecurity about your sense of worthiness. Are you beset by shame? Rather than face those issues in your heart, you may tear down others who have status or possessions as Cain did with Abel. In each of these situations, deadly sins give the illusion of satisfying unmet needs. But in actuality, they only block us from God's grace. So first of all, just, I should have prefaced this with reverence. Like when we're talking about these things, sometimes it can feel like an indictment or an accusation, especially if we hear an inner experience that we haven't articulated, kind of named. We can feel like, oh my gosh, that's me. I'm broken. I'm bad. I'm falling into this, this sin because of this deeper problem. And, and then that becomes a source of shame or, or more pain and therefore more sin because we deal with it by trying to figure it out on our own. Just to, to receive this and, and to let it wash over you. If, it, if something um, strikes your heart or something resonates with you, between you and God, you just offer that to him. Just make a relational choice like, okay, God, there's something here. And just to, you can do that now. You can do that as I'm talking. Anytime you want, just bring God into that. If there's some fear that's, that stirs up or some 
sadness, some shame, just to bring that to Jesus. The point I think, what I like about these, all these descriptions from Dr. Schutz is this last bit. He says, deadly sins give the illusion of satisfying unmet needs. The sin is a tactic we have for trying to fill some emptiness, trying to protect ourselves from some pain. It's a device that we have developed and then we gotten into the habit of using to protect ourselves, to provide for ourselves. Okay, you're not trying to do something bad. You're trying to do something good or you're trying to guard from something bad, like the fear of rejection or being undesirable. Okay, so sexual fantasy or pornography or something like that might be a way that you develop, maybe even at an earlier age before you had the ability to kind of reason it out and think about it, then it just became a habit. This is how I feel better about myself or this is how I ameliorate some of that pain of feeling so lonely or unworthy or, or like there's something wrong with me. Same thing with anger, you know, like we feel helplessness and we, you know, like there's just something human in us that I can't stand being treated so unfairly or being ignored so completely. So I'm just going to get really mad and try to express that anger in maybe aggressive or passive aggressive ways to get people to see me and finally get some justice. But it just keeps getting you, getting you in more trouble and no one wants to be around you, which makes you even more mad. Okay, and we get in these stuck loops, but you're not trying to be a bad person and you aren't a bad person. It's just something, there's some pain in there, some unresolved pain that this is our dysfunctional, unhealthy, sinful way of dealing with that. So one way to think about this is like that sin fills these abandonment holes, these places where we feel alone, and then it's up to us to fix it. Maybe let's just use the example of chastity. One might be struggling for years with chastity, trying to have a more chaste heart, trying to have more chaste habits, trying to get rid of lustful and impure habits. And you struggle and struggle and struggle and you can't do it. And, and the same kind of temptations come, the same feelings that, that give rise to those temptations. And the thought might occur to you like, man, if I could just be chaste, if I could just figure this out and conquer this sin, if I could just coach myself in those places of temptation to just want the right thing, or if I could fill my life with good habits, I wouldn't want these things. But what are you actually after? Is a good question to ask. Like when you get all those perfect habits, when you get all the bad habits out, you get the perfect good habits in, then what? What are you going to do then? Well, now I can be in relationship with God. Now I, I don't sin anymore. I'm like, holy, that's awesome. So what? Why did you want to achieve that? So that I could be a better friend of God, so I could go to heaven, be with him forever. Okay, but can you do that right now, even if you're struggling, even if you're still sinning? Can you be God's friend? Can you be in communion with him? Can you have intimacy? That's not to say don't worry about being chased. <laughs> it's not saying give up on that quest. It's just like if you keep getting, going after that, what's the goal? And maybe that's why you keep falling because there is no real goal. It's just like, oh gosh, I got to be perfect because if I'm not, then I'm, I'm going to suck and I'm going to be bad and I'm so bad. And oh, How am I going to feel better right now? I feel so bad about myself. I know what I'll do. You see how you get stuck? Something has to break in. Grace has to break in at some point. You just say, no, you're fine. Okay, I love you. You can come to me. Even if your feelings are scary, even if what you desire makes you feel ashamed, bring it to me. You're okay. Okay, that's love. That's where healing happens is in the intimacy. And you can have the intimacy now. Sometimes I've heard um, the question like, well, if God loves me no matter what, then what's going to motivate me to change? 
what's going to motivate me to keep trying? If I just know that I can just take God's love for granted, aren't I just going to do whatever I want? Just going to keep sinning, never going to resolve any of these things? This, I think, helps us to see it the other way. What makes you fall into sin? Is it that you're too confident in God's love? Quite the opposite. It's because somewhere deep in our hearts we believe that God does not love us or there's some place that we can't bring to him. He can't love us here. That's why we fall into sin. We don't want to do it. You don't want to sin. Trust me, as a sinner, it's like, why am I doing this? I don't like this. But I can't stop for some reason. That's Adam and Eve. That's the, that's the infection of original sin. So having the trust to just bring it to God and to actually believe in this love and not to try to like, God, you're too easy on me. I got to be hard on myself if I'm going to change. You know, I don't want to let you be too loving. So maybe I'll filter your love through my own shaming of myself or my beating myself up to get myself to change. Can you just give him that, your shame? That's a useful tactic too sometimes to control ourselves or to protect ourselves from this pain of feeling like, wow, I really am inadequate. I really can't do anything myself. So this is my thesis basically for today is that sin is our attempt to solve our pain instead of bringing the pain to God. And what God wants is for us to be safe in his love. Not to feel like we could lose it at any moment if we do the wrong thing or if we don't do the thing that we're supposed to do. Being okay all depends on our not messing up, always doing what's right. God wants us to live in this safety of his total love for us, which is being in Jesus. What I read from the, the Last Supper discourse. Remain in my love. I am in the Father and you are in me. That's where he wants us. And then we can give up and give to him some of these dysfunctional ways we've tried to solve our pain and to actually experience our pain, but in communion with him. Okay, so then to move on to the next quote, there's this image here with the three circles. The inner circle is wounds. The circle outside of wounds is beliefs and then inner vows. The quote, figure 7.1, illustrates the process of how these strongholds are formed. The strongholds are what I talked about, these, this, these deadly sins that kind of become our, habit, our, our habitual way of protecting ourselves or solving our pain. <laughs> Each of the three concentric circles represents a different aspect of our response to trauma. Looking at the circles from inside out, we have our wounds, our beliefs, and then our vows. Together they form a fortress of self-protection, a stronghold, representing layers of insulation around our heart, a futile attempt at protecting us from further pain. Notice that the inner circle is titled Wounds. This represents the traumatic events that cause injury to our body, soul, and spirit. According to the LIFE model, developed by a team of psychologists and neurologists, wounds can occur in one of two general ways, either through the deprivation of love, type A traumas, or through unloving actions that violate our personal boundaries in some way, type B traumas. Type A traumas are most common, but can be easily overlooked. These may include not being cherished and celebrated by one's parents, not knowing we are a delight, not being understood or nurtured, not receiving appropriate discipline or boundaries, not being able to develop personal freedom or talents. Have you ever thought of these as wounds or traumas? Type B traumas, on the other hand, are the bad things that happen to us. They are what we typically think of as traumatic events. Death, divorce, violence, verbal abuse, sexual abuse, abandonment by a parent or spouse, witnessing someone else being abused or injured, and so forth. 
When traumas are left untended, they create wounds in our souls that can eventually harm our bodies and spirits in significant ways. These wounds become part of our everyday language and reveal the effects of sin in our lives. We speak freely about feeling rejected, confused, abandoned, afraid, and so forth. Each of these wounds is a particular taste of hell, bringing torment to our soul. To my knowledge, though these wounds fill the pages of scripture and Christian literature, we have nothing formalized in the church specifically cataloging our wounds. For that reason, I have drawn from the work of Ed Smith, a therapist and ordained minister. Ed identified eight common ways we are wounded. I found his list to be consistent with my own personal and professional experience. Fitting with our rich Catholic tradition, I have reduced his list by one by including tarnished in the term shame. From here on out, I will refer to them as the seven deadly wounds. As we will discover in the next chapter on redemptive suffering, Jesus bore these seven wounds on the cross at Calvary. We often talk about his physical wounds, but I believe his seven soul wounds caused him the greatest anguish. Table 7.1 lists the seven wounds with the accompanying identity beliefs associated with them. Now, just before we go into these seven deadly wounds, all this talk of trauma, not being cherished by your parents or celebrated or knowing where to delight, even more serious things like, like sexual abuse, abandonment, uh, witnessing abuse. I'm not a professional. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a counselor. This is why we have that sheet last week, which we can give to you this week if you didn't get it, on um, where to find help, whether counseling, 12-step groups, meeting with one of us and, and talking on staff here. Sometimes these, these things have happened to us or we witness them happen and it's serious pain, you know? And this is not to try to bring up or stir up pain. It's just the reality of that this does happen and it, it's isolating. So having a place to talk about it. And also it can sort of feel sometimes, you might've felt this in your heart as, you're, as we were reading this, like, oh, this is blaming my parents or blaming, you know, my growing up for my problems today. And isn't that just like, as Christians, we're supposed to forgive and forget and just move on with our lives and not blame people. Isn't this kind of like a betrayal or this is like the psychobabble, self-indulgent, navel-gazing thing, like instead of just getting over it and growing in virtue and doing what you're supposed to do. This is not trying to blame anyone else for your problems. It's taking responsibility. On the contrary, taking responsibility for your decisions and your, and your life today, which is like it or not, conditioned in many ways by the way that you grew up and the experiences that you've had, many of which were good and many of which were experiences of unconditional love, hopefully. But sometimes all of us are sinners, including our parents, including the people that should have loved us perfectly when we were little kids. And so they're bound to fail us. And there's bound to be places in our life where even if they don't, maybe it seems dramatic to say trauma, but they just stick with us to this day, you know, and they're stored somewhere in our memory, in our brains, in our bodies, in our hearts. And it just leads us to dysfunctional behaviors. So this is another thesis statement. This is maybe radical. But if you sin, you probably have some wounds. Because if sin is this trying to solve our pain, trying to make up for what we're missing in the unconditional love of God, we don't believe we can't go to him with everything. We don't ask for the grace we need. We try to solve our problem ourselves, and this gets us into trouble. There's some place of woundedness, some tenderness, some vulnerability that we're not willing to to bring into communion, to bring into the light. And so we just try to, so there's probably some place of one of these seven wounds in your heart. It may be multiple. And that's okay. That's not like go off and try to solve this and then you can be a Christian. It's like this is part of it. And the fact that Jesus took these seven soul wounds to the cross should be a consolation to us, that he's suffering this woundedness in you and with you. So the seven wounds are, Abandonment, rejection, fear, shame, 
powerlessness, hopelessness, and confusion. I put also the seven signs of healing. We won't go over that this week, but just so you have the, all, all three of them together. But the, the seven wounds have these seven corresponding identity beliefs. And that, that's from that circle on the other page. The wound is not the problem, by the way. Life just wounds us, okay? People in our life die. People hurt us. We mess up. We make mistakes. We don't make the basketball team. We feel pain. Sometimes life sucks. But when you're a little kid, when your life is sucking, where do you go? What do you do when you're hungry or you fell down? Or any, you go to your parents, and then they calm you down. And they, in their mature, maturity and their bigness and spaciousness and love and calmness, they just bring you back to a place of serenity and peace. And you're able to, you're able to go through that place of pain. But if you're a little kid and nobody's there to help you, then that pain becomes this like thing, I'm never, gonna, I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to put myself in a position like this again. I'm never going to rely on anybody ever again. That's an inner vow that comes from this identity belief that is a false way of explaining this pain, okay? And it might happen probably without you even realizing it was happening. But if you experienced abandonment at some point in your life, you probably also fell for the belief that I am all alone, no one cares or understands. So if you feel like I'm all alone, no one cares about me, then who's going to Take care of me. I'll take care of myself. I'll figure out a way to feel good. I'll figure out a way to get other people to give me what I need. Anger, lust, greed, whatever. Rejection. If you experienced rejection, you probably believed, I am not loved, wanted, or desired. If you experienced fear, you probably believed, I'm afraid, and I tr- if I trust, I will be hurt or I will die. If you experienced shame, you probably believed, I'm bad, dirty, shameful, stupid, worthless, because of what happened to me, I am unlovable. I will never recover. These are all lies, but they're so easy to fall for when we experience the pain. Powerlessness, maybe you believed, I can't change it. I'm too small. I'm too weak. If you experience hopelessness, you believe things will never get better. I want to die. If you experience confusion, really painful confusion, maybe you believed, I don't understand what's happening. I don't know how to fix it. I don't know how to manage it because I have no idea what's going on. That's like when our sewer backs up. That's what I feel. <laughs> I don't know what's happening, and I don't know how to fix it. Someone help me. Okay, and then these la- this last quote. Notice that each of the seven deadly wounds has a corresponding identity belief. When we are wounded, we often internalize messages about ourselves. This, in turn, deeply affects our identity, the way we see ourselves. We may believe with our intellects that we are God's beloved children, but our hearts believe a different message. For example, when we are rejected, we may believe we are not wanted, loved, or desired. When we experience shame, we may internalize the belief that we are bad, dirty, worthless, stupid, and so forth. In our circle, we may remember that beliefs make up the middle circle, representing how identity lies and judgments are used to insulate us from the impact of traumas. Initially, our distorted beliefs protect us from feeling pain, but in the long term, they become part of the mechanism by which our pain gets locked into our body and soul. These distorted beliefs become the building blocks that form the strongholds in our minds and hearts. Beliefs about our identity, such as the ones listed in Table 7-1, shape the way we see ourselves and become filters through which we view life in all its many aspects. So I'll just wrap up with this message. Healing, like these, this is maybe some heavy stuff, all these seven wounds, the fact that we all have some wound and maybe we don't even know what it is, but we're living out of it every time we do these dysfunctional, unhealthy, unholy behaviors. But there's hope, always. But the hope goes through suffering. The hope is the cross. That's that, that 
message that he has there, that Jesus took all these wounds to the cross. Jesus is our wounded healer, so to speak. Like he knows what it is to suffer and he's intimately present to our suffering. So the bad news is that for healing to happen, just as if you were like, you had a broken bone or a bad infection or something and you needed to go to the doctor for him to fix it, chances are he's going to do something that was going to hurt. Okay, he's going to reset the bone. He's going to clean the wound. It's maybe easier to hide the wound, to just let it fester, to like cover it over or to just like start limping instead of actually walking. And, but like, cause I don't want to get my bone reset. I'm afraid of the doctor. He's going to do something that hurts me or like a cavity. I'm not going to the dentist. I'm just going to grit and bear this pain. Okay. There's going to be some suffering if we're, if we're open to healing, but the suffering is going to be in communion. Like a lot of this dysfunctional, sinful behavior, it's coming from this place of being so afraid of suffering, so afraid of pain that we just like settle for this numbness or this like dull all the time pain. Look, I remember I I used to rollerblade when I was in middle school and I wasn't wearing like wrist guards or something. And I did, I tried to do a trick and I fell down and opened up my hand, just like gashed it on this curb. And my first thought was my mom is going to be so mad at me because I was doing something dangerous and I wasn't wearing a protective thing. So I literally hid this wound for like a week until it started like itching and hurting. And she saw me like itching my hand and she's like, what's going on there? And she's like, what the heck? And she was mad, (laughs) believe it or not. Uh, But she took it and she opened it and she washed it, put hydrogen peroxide on it or whatever and bandaged it up and it eventually got better. But I've always thought of that. It's like, okay, am I too afraid that this, like I did something wrong. That's why I got hurt and I don't want to deal with that. I'd rather just like deal with this infection or, or whatever than actually face up to the fact that, that I need help or I did something that I need forgiveness for. The good news is that pain, grief, sorrow, loss are all bearable. You can do it because God is with you and God loves you and you're safe in his love. We can grieve our wounds and pains with God's love. But without God and without his love, we're stuck. The only way to deal with our pain is to hide it, to run away from it, to numb it, to medicate it, do addictive behaviors. That's the way we figured out how to do it without God. And none of them work. But with God, we can move through grief. We can move through pain and sorrow and suffering. Sorrow that we brought on ourselves through our sin or somebody brought on to us through their sin. And healing is about staying connected to life, not escaping it. Staying connected to yourself and your own experience, to your heart, to God, to reality, to not giving into lies, to not giving into dishonesty or self-soothing or self-reliant behavior. Staying connected in spite of the pain, in spite of confusion, in spite of difficulties, temptations, that want to pull us out of ourselves, pull us out of reality, pull us out of communion. So that's, that's it. It's remaining. It's not go up to the top of the mountain and talk to the guru and get the secret of life. It's just staying in your body, in your heart, in reality with God, even in spite of what's going on sometimes, which is really hard. And so this is it. Wounds are fine. We're not going to get through life without wounds. You already have a lot. You're probably going to get some more. It's these self-protective tactics that we develop in order to insulate ourselves from the pain that harms us more. We can fall down, get hurt, be mistreated, even die, and we can still be okay if we bring it all to the one who loves us and can make all things new. 
So healing comes when we're willing to suffer with Jesus, to let Jesus suffer in us and with us, to actually feel the pain of what happened or what we're afraid of happening, but in the embrace of God and in the safety of his love. So that's all I have for today. So with that, I'll welcome Sarah. I'm just going to give um, a personal testimony, and I want to preface it by saying that our wounds are personal, but also we're not alone in them. And I think what you'll hear about my story is that I felt alone a lot, um, and I kept a lot of things in. So just what I want you guys to take from this is that like, whatever you feel shameful about, there's others that are feeling the same way. I'll start by saying I have terrible reactions to mosquito bites. Every summer they seem to get worse. It's super annoying. And all I can do is just itch and scratch them until they bleed. And they scab and I pick at them and then they bleed again. And I have, I have scars all over my legs from a summer of just these rude, bloodthirsty mosquitoes. I complain about it a lot. And there's always people who are like, yeah, mosquitoes don't really bother me. I don't know what it is, but I never get bit. Uh, and that makes me mad because here I am digging my nails into my skin to stop this itching and the person across from me is bragging about the fact that they don't have that problem. This was the image that came to mind when I started thinking about what I would talk about today during this testimony. I have a lot of wounds, a lot of scars, a lot of stories of sin and heartache Uh, and when I was trying to think about the best way to convey it, this is the image that the Lord put in my mind. Mosquito bites. And just as some people are more prone to mosquito bites, there are certain sins that I may be more prone to than others. They are wounds that cut deep and create itchy, obvious scabs. And just as mosquitoes have their time in the summer and fall, there are seasons of my life that have left me scarred and filled with scabs and long seasons I've spent healing them. So moving forward, I'll categorize these seasons as seasons of bites and seasons of healing. And I'll start with a season of bites, uh, which was my entire college career. For four years, I abused my body with sex and alcohol, cigarettes and porn, overeating and overspending, partying too much and not studying enough. And although I didn't notice it at the time, I was forming deep wounds in my soul. And the wounds had hardened my heart, leading me to fend for myself and never looking to God for help. It continued into my senior year when I had my first serious boyfriend. Looking back, we were way too wounded to be able to love another person as they should be loved, but we fell in love anyway. He was mostly kind, but when he got angry, which happened quite frequently, he would punch holes in walls or chuck his phone as hard as he could at something. Um, He never physically hurt me, but his his anger and self-consciousness left me with scars. He broke up with me because he was convinced I was cheating on him, and it was the deepest heartache I'd ever felt. And then it cut way deeper a few weeks later uh, when he died in a car crash. Those wounds will probably never heal, but it was followed by a very long season of healing. And actually the season of healing began before the long season of bites ended. Like budding flowers in the cold, hard ground, a new season was preparing to take over. I graduated from college that May and I applied for over 40 jobs. After lots of dead ends, I finally received a job that I almost jokingly applied for to work in the fundraising department for the Diocese of Cleveland. I had no other options, so I took the job, and I remember my mom asking me 
So now that you have a job with the church, do you think you'll start going back to church? And so I did. Um, And the Lord was very gentle with me. But the Holy Spirit came in like a ball of fire. I didn't just start going to Mass on Sundays, but I began going on weekdays with my coworkers at lunch. I started praying my ro- the rosary on my commute to work. I began volunteering with young adult groups in the diocese. I learned what adoration was. I went back to confession for the first time in years. I began to feel the Lord speaking to me in the depths of my heart. And all that time, the Lord was preparing me and preparing my heart for the death of Kevin, my boyfriend. A death that rattled me, but didn't shatter me. It surely would have shattered me just a few months before, but I was able to lean on the Lord and received so many graces from him. My relationship with the Lord continued to develop and deepen over the next several years, even through the pandemic. I had a spiritual director and I began discerning my vocation and the wounds were healing. My vocational discernment ultimately led me to move to Chicago when I got a new job for a Catholic nonprofit. And I assumed my season of healing would continue when I got to Chicago. But unfortunately, a season of bites was on the horizon because I went from living in a house with my parents, brother, sister, and dog to living in a small box in the sky in a big city where I only knew a handful of people. I was homesick beyond belief. I turned back to old habits to fight the loneliness, but watching fake love on the internet only made things worse. My anxiety skyrocketed and intrusive thoughts flooded my mind. The thoughts got so bad that my parents had to come and get me and take me back home. I cried uncontrollably for weeks. I wanted to give up, quit my job and move back to what was comfortable. I was in desolation. My prayer life became non-existent and I did the bare minimum in keeping up with my relationship with Jesus. The Catholic nonprofit I began working for was only Catholic by name, not by culture. For two years, I was belittled and pushed to the side, talked down to and criticized, and all for a business that ultimately did not care about me. I'm happy to say now that I'm in a season of healing that just began over the last few months. I'm in a healthy working environment, surrounded by others who are putting Christ at the center of their lives. I'm also in a healthy relationship with a man who knows how to love me, and I'm able to give him the love that he deserves as well. I'm learning to be grateful for my wounds and to give them to God, to sanctify me so I can glorify him. A beautiful passage I like to pray with is John chapter 20, verse 19 and 20, that takes place uh, during the resurrection. John writes, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came in their midst came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. I find it really beautiful that the first thing that Jesus did was show the apostles his scars and the fact that he still had scars because he could have healed his wounds when he rose from the dead, but they were an important part of his story. And so are mine and so are yours. So to finish and kind of get ready for our small group discussion, I want to just play a song that I've gone back to over the last five years that just touches my heart in a really special way. And appropriately, it's called Scars. Looking back 
see now with open eyes Darkest water and deepest pain I wouldn't trade it for anything Cause my brokenness brought me to you And these wounds are a story If you guys want to listen to that again, it's called Scars by I Am They. And I've listened to it probably like 5,000 times. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.